Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi everybody, just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and Evidence-Based Supplements Retrition Plus. In each episode of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field. So together, we can learn fact from fiction, empower ourselves to become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Despite half of the world's population being female, a woman's body and the conversations surrounding health, they're still sadly such a taboo topic. And with times changing a little bit, which is great, such as conversations like this, I do feel that with so much information out there, there's just so many misconceptions. And if we take them on board, they could actually cause more harm to our health than we think. So this conversation is with my good friend and the incredible doctor, Dr. Philippa Kay. She's absolutely remarkable. She's been on a journey herself, as well as being fully qualified for this conversation. And we discuss everything there is to know about women's health. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Philippa. Hi, Re. Nice to be back on the podcast. Oh, I do know. I couldn't think of a better person to, um, yeah, to come back and speak about this topic. I remember when we were sat in the studio pre-lockdown, pre-COVID, before any of that, and I was pregnant with Mm -hmm. Zachary. And you actually gave me my first ever baby toy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It seems like a long time ago. It seems a lot like changed in the uh, big world and in your personal world. Lots have changed. Well, and in yours too. I, I think it's been an absolute roller coaster of so many highs and ups and downs. And I think today's topic is really timely, actually, because women's health, Philippa, seems like it's 
been a taboo subject and I don't know if times are changing but why do you think that is? I get asked this sort of question a lot why is it so hard why are we still struggling so much and I think that we're not fighting 50 years we're not fighting 100 years we're fighting millennia of patriarchal ideas about women and misogyny and millennia of women being valued for what they look like and their ability to bear children and these things don't change overnight and so yes it can feel really frustrating but we are still actually really only on the cusp of it you know the pill and the NHRT and termination of pregnancy these all things started in the 1960s that's not even a hundred years ago and when you put that into context of how long we as humans as women have existed that's a drop in the ocean so these things take time and the only thing that we can really do is keep talking, 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 educating and empowering because you have more value to you than what you look like and whether or not you have a baby. And we have to keep shouting about that. Yes, Philippa. Yes. This is everything you were saying. And it's so true. The whole of the whole lifespan and history of females on the planet has been this way. And we're only just just starting to address this now I think we should probably kick off with menstruation I guess because it's something everyone goes through and at the start of you know your female journey into all the wonderful things that happen to us as women um (laughs) it's it's tough navigating periods and again it's a subject that I remember at school this is awful I can't believe I'm bringing this up but I was too embarrassed to talk about it or my friends and I didn't want anyone to hear us say the word period so we came up with a code name to discuss mm. if one of us had come on our period it was so what hush was hush. Name? what was Cats the code or dogs name? <laughs> <laughs> okay so oddly specific but okay so but you know if we think about the ones that are quite common aren't flows coming to town you're riding the red wave all of this stuff and actually we don't even you I mean I do but generally in the population we don't use the correct anatomical names for our genitals no. and vulva and vagina are the same as elbow and nostril I mean they're not the same anatomically but the same level of word and yet that was straight away speaks to the fact that periods were supposed to be hidden vaginas are dirty and shameful and disgusting and and horrible and none of that very clearly is true but that silence is really really harmful to girls and women and um, and so when we educate we need to not just be educating girls and women we need to be educating everybody because everybody has a mother a sister a you know a friend or whatever it is um, so we need to be educating everybody uh, periods aren't something to be afraid of but if you need help that you get it so I see in my clinic all the time um, girls who miss school every month Women who don't know that it is not normal and not okay to not be able to leave the house for three days because your periods are so heavy and that you are going to flood. Women who lose their jobs because they work on a factory shop floor and they need to change a pad every hour and they cannot get the breaks to do that. You know, and so we need to really, really talk about it because it's impacting on the quality of life that women are having. Period poverty is not just about money, it's about the loss of education and the a loss of time in the workplace um, and yet we have things that can help all of these things if you're struggling and my message is always what is your normal 
know your normal and if anything changes then we want to know about it and people always say well how do I know if my period pain is bad enough how do I know if my periods are heavy enough no one's going to be coming at you with a syringe to measure how much blood you're losing if you tell me that you are flooding or passing clots or that you're not managing I'm going to believe you that's enough Mm. I'm going to believe you and then we're going to help you with it and so The idea that women have to put up with, insert whatever you want, whatever you want, and women have to put up with, and that's not the case. Women have to be helped so that they can manage whatever it is. Makes me feel very emotional, actually. And when you were um, discussing the impact that periods have on women's lives, because it's not positive for so many of us in fact there's rarely at the time when your period comes a positive amazing joyous moment there are so many implications and like you said I think for people in our generations or before us there was no education around this topic and the problem we also have is of course a lot of men hold positions of power or authority in the workplace Mm. still there's an uneven balance and if men are not educated just as much as women then women probably don't feel they can go forward and tell their employer what's actually going on because it is still taboo if you have a menopause workplace policy a miscarriage workplace policy that's all good but the first thing it says is go to your line manager and if your line manager is not educated we are already in trouble and we know that white middle-aged men hold many of these roles um and so i personally feel that phse at school that everybody should be taught the same thing and everything um and i think that it's also important to say that it is not scaremongering to talk about potential issues it's educating and you might have periods that last three four days and are mild and manageable and you don't have any pain and that's marvelous but you might not so knowing what the options are if you're the one that might not is really really important um but you know for some women it is a difficult time other women notice that the libido goes up. So, you know, and I don't know what, what, who, who's going to be what. So I think that it's important that we, that we talk and that we share and that period blood isn't blue on the advert that you see. Um, and that we have the conversations that your period blood is not dirty. The smell of your vagina is not offensive. You know, all of these things. And we have to shout these messages quite loudly there are groups which are hardly reached there are societal and cultural ideas around it and when we talk about women's health in general it's the fact that women's health is so closely integrated with these ideas of where women should be in society and culturally that is the issue but medicine is medicine health is health and until we can separate those things there's still going to be a bit of a battle I think we have a huge battle ahead of us just from what you've said. And I feel like we're in such a position of privilege at the moment to even be having these conversations. But but it's not really, though. It should be it should be fair. It should be equal. They should be in every single society and culture around the world. But as you said, it's we're anyway, we're we're paving the way, Philippa. We're having conversations, which which is definitely a good thing. And you mentioned impacts on our mood there as well. Now, Mm. of course, gosh, I know I feel it and I just tend to be. I don't know, my mood completely switches in the lead up. Could you discuss how this kind of changes around the menstrual cycle? 
So we have receptors for hormones all over our body, which means that we can get symptoms all over our body. And in the first half of the menstrual cycle, I'm going to take everybody back to GCSE biology for just a second. So day one of your period, when we ask you as a doctor, when's the first day of your period? We mean the first day of your period, and that's day one of your menstrual cycle. And in the first half in the lead up to ovulation, estrogen levels begin to rise. And that's the bit that makes you feel good. And around the time of ovulation, your libido goes up and we feel good. And then in the second half of the menstrual cycle, the follicular phase progesterone levels begin to rise. Um, and if then no conception happens, um, you don't conceive, then both the levels of estrogen and progesterone fall and the period comes. Now, it's the rising levels of progesterone that often can impact mood. It can lead to other symptoms as well, breast tenderness, skin tend, uh, changes, bloating, but often irritability, low mood, it impacts on your sleep. And so for some people, we would talk about premenstrual syndrome, PMS, um, which can be all of those symptoms together. And they tend to be in the lead up to your period, a few days in the lead up to your period, and then it gets better within a day or a few days of your period starting. For some people, it's much more extreme than that. Premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, PMDD, where the changes in mood are much more severe and have a real impact on your quality of life, your ability to function, your ability to stay in your relationships, work, education, whatever it is. Um, and we are talking about that far more than we used to. And we have many more treatments um, that, that we can do. But it is it is potentially part of your normal menstrual cycle for your mood, your energy levels, your sleep, your food cravings, all of that to change. Um, and then we need to say, okay, that might be your normal, but is it impacting on you? And if that's impacting on you, what are we going to do? And my advice to any person listening to this is to never say to anybody who is suffering, oh, it's just your hormones, because that makes us want to punch you in the face. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's just your hormones. And it's so frustrating. But like you said, when you break the science down, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. It's just the lack of awareness and education that this is expected. It's not just that you're and oh, another line is just, oh, just such a typical woman or such a um such a girl or stop being such a girl. I think boys actually get given that phrase, which is very derogatory, but um in terms of our periods, and you mentioned cravings, now obviously as a nutritionist, this fascinates me. Um and I've tried to delve into loads of research. But there doesn't seem to be much out there, mm. evidence-based wise. What do you know in that area of cravings? It's really fascinating how clever your body is yeah. um, on a sort of animal level. How every month, whether or not you're having sex, whether or not there's a possibility of you getting pregnant, your body, your breasts, all of you is getting ready to have a baby every single month. It's not a wonder that sometimes it's hard for us. These are such major changes. But as um, levels of estrogen and progesterone rise, actually your basal metabolic rate rises and that will vary from person to person. But you may actually need more calories um, because you are burning more. And the evidence seems to be uh, that some people will say 200, 300 calories, which is actually the same as the last trimester of pregnancy. Yeah. You know, um, so that's not surprising why people will crave food and often they seem to crave carbohydrates women tend to crave chocolate more than men in general um but it may simply be that your body is asking for something mm. and that we shouldn't necessarily 
fight that. Some people will notice that they have migraines in relation to their um, menstrual cycle. And often cravings can be related to that. And people say, oh, chocolate's triggering my migraine. But actually, it's thought that 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 craving is the beginning phase of the migraine so it's not necessarily triggering your migraine it's that the migraine was coming and it gave you that craving and then the headache came in that headache part of it because migraine has various different phases so your body is clever it's asking for something and again we need to separate the whole emotional and guilt thing around giving your body what it might need yeah um, and if you need a bar of chocolate the day before your period comes, go and enjoy it. <laughs> you know, give your body what you need. Oh, I love it. It's so kind of like an evolutionary kind of theory we don't really have, but it, it makes sense. Again, it all makes sense. And the fact that the way you phrased it, that we're always preparing to have a baby every month, people forget that. And that's a huge ordeal for your body to go through. And like you said, it's so important employers understand what is actually happening. And men and women all around the world, we all need to understand how clever our bodies are now it leads me on to quickly touch and I wish we had more time to go into both areas in more depth but I think two conditions that can impact periods we've got polycystic ovarian syndrome so PCOS and endometriosis if we could just quickly explain when I say quickly I mean touch on the two because I think there'll be a lot of people listening thinking well I've got this and this makes the symptoms potentially a lot worse so polycystic ovarian syndrome is a common syndrome. Com- uh, the fact that something is common doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, and the symptoms tend to be irregular periods, potentially absent periods. Um, and then you might have other symptom changes like difficulties, losing weight, um, having issues with having overweight. Um, you may have acne, you may have hair growing where you don't want it. That's called hirsutism. Um, when we look on the scan, there's a little, what looks like a little necklace um, of beads around each ovary. Those are the little cysts. Um, and there can be some blood test hormone changes as well. And actually, you can have some of those and not have PCOS. So you might have the appearance on the scan and not have any of the other symptoms. So you have polycystic ovaries, but not polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and so you need a combination combination of of those things Um, and then the treatment of that will depend on what your symptoms are so we will always look at lifestyle and we also appreciate that it can be more difficult for people to lose weight Um, and if you are for example trying to ovulate then taking an anti-diabetes drug um, called metformin can be helpful because we're not exactly sure how but it seems to be that people with PCOS have um, more insulin resistance and so their body responds to insulin differently. We might control your periods by using um, a combined oral contraceptive pill and I think that the question is often asked of will I be able to have a baby and most people lots of people with PCOS will and um, I think that knowledge is power and ordinarily if you're under the age of 35 and uh, we would say that you should try having regular unprotected sex for a year before you came to see a doctor but if you know that you have a potential issue like PCOS then you need to come at six months endometriosis it's March I don't know when this is coming up but March is endometriosis awareness month um, and that's when they're recording this and endometriosis is a condition where there there is tissue which is like the lining of the womb outside of the womb be that on the outside of the womb the ovaries the bowel the bladder even in the lungs it can be anywhere and it responds to the hormones of the menstrual cycle every month 
which means that it sheds and bleeds every month. And if you can't shed out the vagina, then you shed into the pelvis or wherever it is. And that causes pain and inflammation and scarring, which then leads to the symptoms. And those symptoms can be really heavy periods, exceptionally painful periods. You might have pain during sex. You might have generalized pelvic pain, pain when you open your bowels, pain when you open, when you do a wee, um, all kinds of symptoms. And the issue with endometriosis is that it takes on average eight years to diagnose. And some of that is due to the gender pain gap and women's pain not being taken as seriously and women's pain being less understood. But it's also because the gold standard of diagnosis involves keyhole surgery, which is quite invasive. So we might treat you as if you have endometriosis, but not definitely be able to say that you have. Um, and so, again, we might use hormones to try and shut off the menstrual cycle, um, to try and, and control things that way. And then there is surgery and then there are other treatments as well. But I think the most important message is if it's not normal for you or if you're not managing, go and ask for help. Thank you, Philippa. I am um, gobsmacked, to be honest, when you explain these two different areas, especially when you mentioned about endometriosis and the pain. And it, it pop, a question popped into my head about GPs in general, because, of course, they're the first point of call, as, as you know, for everybody. Um, is the training there for current GPs in terms of males as well as females having this education around endometriosis? Or is it something that a new wave and a new generation of doctors are being taught more? So um, the gender of your GP, they have the same level of, of education. We might then choose to specialise in different things, but that's yeah. not, not based on gender. Um, I PCOS and endometriosis were things which were taught in medical school. They were um, topics which were covered, unlike others, like the anatomy of the clitoris, menopause, stuff mm. like that. But bearing in mind, I went to medical school 20 years ago. But these <laughs> topics are... Um, covered but it's about how much lived experience you have so mm. it's very different learning about something in a lecture hall um even talking to a gynecologist and then having a job where you're involved in it um, and when you do gp training you go around the hospital and you you spend six months or three months doing various different jobs um and i chose a scheme that that put me into gynecology because i one it interests me but i knew that we were going to hit that um, even if you don't do that when you hit your GP registrar years, you're going to be exposed. Um, and absolutely, these are conditions which should be uh, GP's bread and butter. The truth is, is that some of us know more about some things than others yeah. do. And if you come to me and you want a joint injection, I'm not your girl. Um, yeah. But we work in group practices. Most of us ask the receptionist who's the person with the most interest or the most qualifications or who seems to see the most uh, women's health issues and try and go that way. And go empowered. Take your pieces of paper. Take the book that you read. Take the something. And if what you've read is some, um, let's not name, some uh, very famous celebrities <laughs> current fad trend, I'm going to tell you that there's no, not much evidence for that. Yeah. If you have got something which I don't know about, I'm going to go and look that up. And that is okay. I would never be afraid of a doctor that says, I don't know about that. Let me go and find out for you, because that actually is a really important skill um, and shows that your doctor is acting in the sort of boundaries of their competency. Mm. And now they're going to learn more for you. And if yeah. it's something that we agree on, then we're going to go and talk about that together. So you and I are on the same team. And if 
Sometimes I challenge your beliefs and sometimes you're going to challenge me to go and find out something new. And that's great. So yeah. I would say keep, keep advocating for yourself. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wonderful. I, I think that's so important for our listeners because a lot of people probably just feel very disheartened if they do go to a doctor and they're not prepared in the way that you have said. Because of course, how can a doctor know everything inside and out in every single area of um of health in general? It's impossible and they work with the team. And it's wonderful to know that doctors are willing to look into extra areas. Now, your next book, Philippa or your latest book rather is fabulous because it's all about breasts. And I think, again, it's an area where breasts are, let's say, sexualized by the media um, completely. There's, there's this battle at the moment. I don't know if you know about it on social media where women are like, well, why can't breasts be shown in a certain way, shape or form, whereas men can be topless? And why should this be sexualized where breastfeeding posts are being taken down, whereas a model with her breasts out is totally fine. Anyway, that aside, Breasts are important, aren't they? And we need to be monitoring them. Absolutely. So this is Yay. what the book is. I have the copy. Um, I, I love the front cover. I I'm love buying. it. I love it. Um, so the battle between um, what we might call the Madonna whore complex um, is absolutely raging in society, social media, general media. Um, breasts are seen as having two roles by outsiders one is the nurturing breastfeeding side and two is in sexual attraction and arousal not for you for someone else so it is not a wonder at all that women and girls don't feel like their breasts belong to themselves because those two roles are about someone else they're about nothing to do with you um and their adidas had a big campaign um showing lots and lots of different breasts and the idea was saying we've got lots of different sports bras and the advertising standards authority in the uk took it down um twitter didn't but the ASA did. Um, and they were saying because it showed nudity and people might be upset by it. Actually, it showed diversity and it showed normality and it showed breasts that might be asymmetrical and it showed nipples in different places, you know, and all kinds of things. And that's what makes people feel that, that theirs is OK. Um, so and, you know, hashtag free the nipple on 
on social media is a very big campaign. Um, and the idea of you, the real pressure to breastfeed, but don't show us. Yeah. You can't even see anything when someone's breastfeeding. And if there's pressure to hide that, and yet page three still exists, although it doesn't exist showing uh, breast, it still shows someone in, in underwear. Um, if we can't show the breast, even worse, we can't show the absence of a breast because how many pictures do you see of women who've had a mastectomy? Yeah. You don't. Um, so there are definitely, definitely issues here, but everybody, irrespective of their gender identity, has to examine their breast chest area because everybody has breast tissue and that's because your breasts develop before the Y chromosome kicks in in the womb. So breasts start developing about four to six weeks into pregnancy and the Y chromosome kicks at about seven to nine weeks and that's why men have nipples. They were there before the, the testes started to develop. So everyone has some breast tissue and men can get breast cancer as well. Now breast cancer is the commonest cancer in the UK, one in seven um, women will develop breast cancer at some point in their lifetimes. And checking makes a difference. Um, and the we would recommend that you check about once a month after your period, if you have periods, because they're less likely to be lumpy and sore at that point. And if you don't have periods, then feel on the first is a great way to remember. There are no right or wrongs about how you examine your breasts. It's just that you do it um, and that you do all of it. So I recommend um, what we call the TLC approach to your breasts, which is touch, look and get changes checked. So first of all, you stand in front of a mirror. I would say you look with your hands by your sides your hands above your head like you're sunbathing and then your hands on your hips and you push in slightly because that brings the breast tissue forward off the breast wall, off the chest wall. And we're looking for what is different for you. If you normally have inverted nipples, fine, carry on. But if you don't and one becomes inverted or one points in a different direction, that's a change. If you have a new rash, if you have a nipple discharge, if you can see that the size or shape or there's an indentation or a slight pulling in of one breast, if anything is changing for you, I want to see it. When you feel the breast and um, you use the flat of your fingers as opposed to po poking in, so use the flat of your fingers and you can divide your breast up however you like. Some people will divide it into four quadrants. Other people will say, this is my clock, one, two, three, four, all the way around and I will feel each number down. Some people will start at the nipple and then go around in ever bigger circles. Other people will start at the edge and go in smaller circles. Um, and so what you're doing is you are feeling with one arm up, you are trying to squash the breast tissue against the chest so that you can feel any lumps or bumps. It's really important that you examine all the way up to the collarbone, the breast tissue extends all the way up that far. And that as you come round, that you examine all the way up into your armpit mm. because the tail of Spencer, the breast goes that far, but also the breast drains into the armpit. And then you are looking for any changes and it might not be a lump. It might be a thickening. It might be what feels a fibrous area or it feels lumpy, like little bits of frozen peas and corn. And if that's different for you, you get checked because some women will have what we would call nodular breasts. They feel sort of lots and lots of little lumps but it's on both sides and it's always been there. And that's very different to it's never been there and now it's coming. Breast pain is a rarer sign of breast cancer, though breast pain itself is really, really common. But if you have new onset breast pain in one side in particular, you get checked. Now, this doesn't mean that you have breast cancer. 
it means you have a sign that needs to be checked out. And there are loads and loads of causes of benign changes. But I can't tell because I don't have a mammogram in my glasses. So we have to get checked. Mm. And knowing your body is the first step to that. Yeah, thank you. Gosh, so thorough. Everybody listening, please, 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 if you're a woman and you have breasts, check your breast. I think it's and such if important. You someone that doesn't, if you've had a mastectomy, yeah. if you um, are in the trans community, and if you are a man, you still have breast tissue, check your chest. Yeah, thank you, Philippa. So important to everybody, basically. And everybody needs that book on breasts, in my opinion, because <laughs> if there's anything out there like it, Philippa. So thank you for writing it, because I do no. feel like it's a sign of the times. Now, you also have another book, which I recommend to everybody that asks me, I need information about the menopause. Where do I go? The M word, you call it, don't you? And I think, again, let's have a look. I've got that one there, too. <laughs> so, yes. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, so I think that so I write these books based on what walks in my door mm. um, and where the need is that comes into my door. And so for the breast book, it was that seven out of 10 women have breast pain. Most of us are wearing the wrong size fitting bra. I see ill fitting bras all the time and people are coming to me with headaches, neck pain, shoulder pain. So that was why I wrote that one. But when it comes to the menopause, we it, if you're in the menopause space, it might feel like we talk about it all the time. But in the real world, it's still not. Mm -hmm. And I meet women on a daily basis saying, how would I know? What were the symptoms? I think I've got dementia. I think I should stop driving. I've left my job. Um, and so the menopause and the menopause transition are something which is going to happen to 51% of the population. And we need to be prepared for that. And one in four women won't have any symptoms at all. And of the three out of four women who are left, most of them will have mild symptoms, but some will have very severe symptoms to the extent that one in 10 will have thoughts of suicide. Um, and we are losing women out of the workforce. Women are ending their relationships. Women are, are changing the function, uh, that what they do in their lives. And actually, we want to retain that wisdom. We want to retain the power of that workforce and, and of women who may be free of the burden of periods, who may be moving out of the burden of childcare, and you may love your children very much, and there's still a burden of childcare there. Um, and, and, and the balance of that, and that might be getting easier at that time in your life. And so we need to approach this with, um, with education and knowledge, but also not with fear. Mm. The symptoms of the menopause are very wide ranging, physical ones, hot flushes, sweats, palpitations, joint pain, headache, but also psychological ones, insomnia, loss of libido, depression, anxiety, brain fog. And the really important thing is that we have treatments and we have HRT, but we also have non-hormonal prescribable medications for people who can't want it, who can't take HRT or don't want HRT. We have um, treatments for things like genitourinary syndrome of the menopause, which is when you might have a very painful burning, itching vagina, sex might be painful, you might have recurrent urinary tract infections, and that treatment is even available over the counter now. And that's vaginal estrogen, and that's not the same as taking whole body HRT. So it's suitable for most people, even if you've had breast cancer for most people. Um, so there are things that you can do. Don't suffer in silence. And I think that women's health is a very particular area of medicine because most of the time women are coming to the doctor at that point when they're healthy. So they're not unwell. 
they're coming because they want contraception or they're trying to conceive mm. or they're pregnant or the menopause is not a state of ill health you're not unwell yeah um, so we are you know and having breasts you're not unwell they might cause you symptoms and they might cause you to be unwell yeah. um but you know and so too might your menstrual cycle or fertility issues it might make you be unwell but actually a lot of the time women are coming to the doctors when they're well and we need to sort of shift the mindset um towards you know actually how can we help you stay well how can we mm. help you manage what it is to live with the menstrual cycle fertility pregnancy pregnancy is not a state of ill health no um you know the perimenopause how do we help you manage living with your breasts for example and that's i think really important and i think that that's quite a big shift and a big change yeah uh, it's, it's huge it's huge and i feel so blessed that i'm in the career and these podcasts and these conversations because i would not have been exposed to it if i was not in the um the world that I work within if I'm being honest that's what you've just said a lot of people out there will not be exposed to these conversations and that's what's worrying like you said we're not sick as such we're just going through a transition in life but we need support and I speak to a lot of people that think oh HRT and actually we've we have a whole episode on the menopause with Philippa that you can refer back to which we will tag as well if you want to go into more depth for anyone listening but HRT has a lot of taboo around it as well. Mm. And if you could just reassure people before we move on to our listener questions that it's okay. So HRT is, I think, had the worst rap of, <laughs> of um, any medicine. Um, and that sort of information sticks in people's minds. Um, there was a very, there was a very, very big study in the early 2000s, which was stopped because it seemed to show some um, really negative, um, some real risks associated with HRT. But it was comparing apples to oranges, chalk and cheese, what we do now and what we did then. Um, and those were women who were started on oral HRT a decade after their menopause that's not what I'm talking about now and um, we are using body identical HRT which has much lower risks we deliver the estrogen mostly through the skin so there isn't an increased risks of um, blood clots if you start HRT within a decade of the menopause it seems to be protective against cardiovascular disease so heart disease and stroke it may be protective against dementia and also on the benefit side we really have to put quality of life and symptom control and you can't underestimate that and so on the risk side we can mitigate some of the risks by how we give the hrt so for example giving it through the skin we can mitigate the risk of um, wound cancer because we give progesterone as well as estrogen mm. and then there is the big one which people talk about which is the risk of breast cancer and i can't tell you that it's not there but i can tell you that it's small and in relation to other things that you might be doing without thinking about it it's really small so 23 women out of every thousand between the age of 50 and 59 will develop breast cancer not related to HRT. If you drink alcohol, if you smoke, that's an extra three or five cases per thousand. If you have obesity, another 24 cases. And if you take HRT, combined HRT, um, it's an extra four cases. So in comparison to things that you might already be doing, that risk is small. And if you have uterogestam, which is the micronized progesterone, the body identical form of progesterone, there doesn't seem to be an increased risk for the first five years. And after that, that risk is much smaller. 
So everybody, when you go to the doctor, needs to do that balancing act. What are my risks? What are my benefits potentially going to be? Maybe I have a family history of breast cancer. Maybe that's going to make my risk side way heavier and I'm going to potentially choose something else. Maybe I don't have that and I'm about to give up my job and get divorced. So my benefit side is going to weigh heavier. And so that's a discussion that everybody needs to have. But if you can't have it or if you don't want it, and both of those are valid, no one's going to make you have it. Don't think that there's nothing else because we have non-hormonal options too. That's brilliant to know. I'm urging everyone, please, if you're experiencing symptoms, there's so, so many women I speak to, Philippa, you know, saying, oh, I'm getting these headaches or these hot flushes, or I'm just not feeling myself. I've got brain fog, you know, all of these different things. And it could so easily be helped with a trip to your GP, basically. Essentially, there are things out. And so we've had so many questions about women's health on social media, which goes to show, and actually quite a few people saying, can this be anonymous, please? And of course, of course, we don't have to, um, we'll never give out identity on the podcast it's just the questions were so relatable someone here has said there's a hrt shortage um i don't know what to do that was it oh my gosh that's a real plea isn't it and and this is something that we have been talking about for years and um it got a lot of play in the media last year um and yet this year things got just as bad as not if not worse and it, it wasn't picked up so much um and I think that there's a number of things. First of all, there is the political issues which campaigners are working on. There are supply issues, but for you as a patient, as a woman going, I can't get my patch, there are things that you can do. First of all, there are lots of different brands of patches and pharmacists now are allowed to switch you. So maybe you were on Everell and now you're going to be on Estradot or the other way around. We can also switch you from a patch to a gel or a gel to a spray um, and even oral if we need to. So don't think I can't find mine. There's nothing I can do. We can switch and find different ways. And the same is true for the progesterone as well. That is not to underestimate the impact of the anxiety and stress that it causes and the increased workload for your GP, even though pharmacists can change um, some. You know, there is definitely a burden here. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that work is being done um, from the top end as well to try and increase supply. That doesn't help us right now. And quite frankly, my opinion is very much is that people saying, well, there's increased demand. Increased demand is a good thing. That means that women are getting the help that they need. So let's anticipate that increased demand, please. Um, So don't give up. There are options we can switch. And it's not ideal. I'm not saying that that's ideal, but don't just panic and think I've got nothing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, That will have answered a lot of questions for a lot of people. We've got one here from Jade who said, are at-home hormone tests a reliable indicator of our health? No. (laughs) So um, I think <laughs> that's quite a big question. And then it depends on, on on which hormone you're talking about. And are we talking yeah. about women's health hormones? And are, what should we trying to diagnose here? Yeah. So um, the hormone tests in the perimenopause are not very useful. And over 45, the NICE guidance says not to take them. And that's because one month you might ovulate and therefore mm-hmm. the stimulating hormones in your brain that tell your ovary what to do will be normal and the next month you might not ovulate because your periods are becoming irregular and they might not be normal and so it's not very useful as a blood test and so we don't use them if you're under the age of 45 I might use I do I would use them because I want to check that there isn't another reason why your periods um might be changing or or your symptoms and Mm. for example thyroid problems might be causing that 
Um, and so, yes, there are some tests that you could do at home that might check your thyroid level. Um, so it's a bit difficult to answer broadly because we have so many hormones in our bodies. Yeah. If I presume that we're talking about um, hormones for the menopause over the age of 45, you know, they're really not useful. And even under that, let's say between 40 and 45, I might take them and I still might give you a trial of treatment. Um, so I think that it depends what test you're taking and what is the reason that you are doing it for. Because in medicine, as a rule of thumb, you take a test when that information is going to potentially change what you do or rule something out. So I wouldn't recommend that everybody takes hormone tests all the time at home just to see because what's it going to tell you and mm. when it comes to something like PCOS you can have results which are in the normal range but the ratio of those results changes yeah. um and so I would say I go go to your doctor yeah yeah thank you absolutely and the last the last question we've got here gosh it's such a huge topic I feel so overwhelmed like I just want to get all of these questions in um, this is actually really important. And um, Leah has said, I've got a family history of breast cancer. You know, I'm only 17, but should I be looking into this now? Mm. So breast cancer is common. That's the first thing. And the biggest risk factors for breast cancer are being female, having breasts and age. And it's so common that lots of us will have a family history of breast cancer without there necessarily being a genetic cause. And it's thought that five to 10 cases, uh, five to 10 percent of cases of breast cancer are related to a genetic cause. So it's not just about having a family history of breast cancer, but how many people are affected, how old they were when they were affected. So if they're under 40, for example, if you have a male in your family who's affected, and it's not even just breast cancer, it's also ovarian cancer and colorectal cancer. Um, and so it's about a combination of things. If you are concerned, go to your GP and we can take a history and we may refer you to a genetic counsellor. And if you don't want genetic counselling and you don't want to know whether or not you might be BRCA positive, for example, which is your right, then we might refer you into high risk breast cancer screening. So you might get offered breast cancer screening earlier than everybody else. In the UK, the um, mammograms start at 50, but you might start at 40 with mammograms. You might start earlier than that with MRI scans. So having that knowledge can be useful, um, but having a family history of breast cancer is common and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are at increased risk and it will depend on all of those things that I just said. But whether or not you are BRCA positive or have a really strong family history or not, everybody needs to self-check because time matters when it comes to cancer. And I say that as a cancer patient myself, yeah. as well as a doctor, time matters. The earlier that we can get it, the more likely it is that we will be able to treat it and that you will make a full recovery. Mm -hmm. So if you are 53 and you think, well, I've got a mammogram next year. No. You examine your breasts in between. You examine them when you're pregnant. You examine mm. them on the pill. You examine them and any changes you get checked. Yeah. Thank you, Philippa. Thank you. We have a fact or fiction round just to spice things up. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Bit scared. <laughs> Sleeping in a bra at night stops your breasts from growing. False. <laughs> sleeping in a bra at night sleeping on your front if that is what is comfortable for you fine I would recommend that if you're going to use a bra um 
any bra that it fits you properly. Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean that the band is flat all the way around. So it doesn't rise up in a sad face at the back, that it's snug. You can get one finger under it, but not more than that, that you can't lift the straps more than a few centimetres, not up by your ears, that the cups don't gape or bulge or that you don't bulge over the top. Um, often at night, people will want to wear a softer bra. They might find that's more comfortable. But actually, people with very large, heavy breasts, breasts are heavy. Um, and when you're lying on your side, um, the, you know, the weight of that pulling can be very uncomfortable. So lots of people will wear a bra at night and there's nothing wrong with that. It won't stop them developing. It won't cause them any harm. And um, people often wear it at, uh, when they're breastfeeding or they want to wear a pad at night, um, a breast, a nipple pad. Um, that's all fine as long as your bra fits you. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, creams are the best way to reduce the appearance of cellulite. False, false, false. Um, <laughs> cellulite is to do with the structure of where the fat is in your skin. And the beauty industry has done a marvellous oh. job at taking our money um, and telling us that this is something that is wrong and unhealthy and we need to change. There is no evidence that anything makes the appearance of cellulite disappear. And actually, there isn't also any evidence that there are um, over-the-counter creams that are going to help change the appearance of stretch marks. Um, so, you know, there is some evidence for some things right at the beginning, but, you know, no. stretch marks and no, cellulite, no, no. they are part of your body um, and your body make, lets you do everything that you want to do every day and we should celebrate that. Love it. Um, the average age for starting your period is 12. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that one is true. Puberty, um, it's normal for girls to start puberty from any age about eight. And puberty is a period of time. Um, and starting your period, menarche is just one point in that time. And the same is true at the other end of life, that perimenopause is a period of time. And the menopause, the last period, um, is just one point in that. The age that women and girls are starting their period is getting earlier and earlier, and we think that's to do um, with uh, access to nutrition, but also rising um, rates of obesity. If you don't have a period at 12, don't worry, but if you have no signs of puberty at all, by 13, 14, we want to see you. And if you have signs of puberty, but you haven't started your period, by 16, we want to see you. Okay, thank you for that. Um, eating soy can help with menopausal symptoms. Um, that's one for you. <laughs> there is some, um, so there used to be a lot of concern that soy would increase your risk of breast cancer, but it's mm -hmm. it's the isoflavones within the soy are not thought to do that. Um, in some places around the world um, where they have a lot of phytoestrogens in their diet and soy is a source of phyto phytoestrogens, um, it may be that women have fewer menopausal symptoms and that's in itself is really difficult because that's linked with cultural ideas and ability to speak out and, and all kinds of things and we don't know how long you'd have to eat them for and how much you'd have to eat them and can you just start eating them around the perimenopause but you know things like soy and mushrooms are healthy um, and they're packed full of phytoestrogens why not put them in your diet if you like them perfectly answered uh, pregnancy can be protective of depression um that's interesting. Pregnancy affects can affect your mental health, um, both good and bad, positively yeah. and negatively. So um, we talk a lot about postnatal depression, but actually you can get depression, anxiety, OCD and mental health changes during your pregnancy perinatal. Um, but some people love it. 
Yeah. And they find that, you know, the hormones boost their mood as opposed to drop their mood. There's no right or wrong. There's only you. And if you are managing and feel great, good on you. And if you're not and you feel rubbish, go ask for help. And those two sides should not be in opposition to each other. We should just be together. Precisely, precisely. Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome only affects women who are overweight. I have it. There you go. I'm not overweight. Yeah. Um, lots of people have it um, who are not overweight, who do not have overweight or obesity. That is not true. People who have PCOS may find it more difficult to lose weight. Um, and it, it is also that if you do have obesity, you may have more severe symptoms, um, but not necessarily. So that is a fallacy. You can't tell someone's health by looking at their yeah. body shape. Absolutely. Smear tests are painful. Smear tests, cervical screening, absolutely save lives. We know that. The combination of cervical screening and HPV vaccination has the potential to eradicate cervical cancer altogether. That's nearly 4,000 women a year. You know, that is not insignificant. What we do is we put a speculum in a plastic device which opens the walls of the vagina out of the way um, so that we can see the cervix. You might notice a stretching discomfort at that point. And then when we take the samples using a soft brush, it can lead to period type pains. If it is painful, though, then we need to talk about that because there are things that we can do. So if you're suffering from vaginal dryness after the menopause, maybe we'll use some estrogen cream um, or vaginal estrogen for a couple of weeks before that. If you have uh, are a survivor of sexual abuse and you want more time, then we can give that to you. If you want to ask for a smaller speculum, let's do that. If you want to put the speculum in yourself, let's do that so that you have control over that and control over the opening of that speculum. Let's do that because it shouldn't be painful. It might be uncomfortable. That uncomfortableness might last you know, a couple of minutes, but it has the potential to save your life. I want you to be my doctor. Um, <laughs> um, uh, radiation from mobile phones does not cause breast cancer. True, does not cause breast cancer. If you want to have your phone in your breast pocket, I mean, who of us wears a, wears a thing with a breast pocket? But if you wanted to, fine. Deodorant yeah. doesn't cause breast cancer. Talcum powder doesn't cause breast cancer. Wearing a bra with an underwire in it doesn't cause breast cancer. Wearing a black bra doesn't cause breast cancer. Thank you. Brilliant. A menstrual cycle between 21 and 40 days is considered normal. Um, so 21 to about 35 days is considered normal. So that means that you might have a period every three weeks or every five weeks. Um, and it's not irregular if you have one that's 28 days and then 29 days and then 27 days. That, that's not irregular. They're coming every month. Um, but if you're getting periods that are coming every two weeks, if you're getting periods that are much more spaced apart, we want to know if you're not getting periods at all um, and you aren't on a form of contraception that is making that happen for you, then actually it, we need you to bleed three or four times a year and we would give you medication to do that. Um, so um, everybody will have a different menstrual cycle length. Everybody will bleed for a different period of time. What is your normal? And if that changes, be that bleeding after sex, bleeding in between the periods, bleeding after the menopause, then you've got to get checked out. Thank you. What a wonderful fact or fiction round full of knowledge bombs. I feel like this topic, Philippa, we could do a separate episode on every single area that we've actually touched on. And that's how overwhelming the discussion around women's health is, because as you said, 
It's been around forever and we're only just really starting to break. Well, in Philippa's case, she's been looking at it for years. But I mean, for all of us listening and if you've not been exposed to it, it's brand new. So sadly, that concludes our episode of Food for Thought today. But we always leave with a lovely take home message. And I think I'll start by just first of all saying you have to check out all of Philippa's information because I feel quite emotional when I talk about these types of topics. I think it's because we all know someone. It could be yourself. It could be your mother, your sister, your friend anybody we all know somebody that's experiencing something women's health related of course because we're all women we're all going through these things all the time and it's just not an open enough topic and it's not taken seriously enough and Philip is also very very open about her battles on social media which I actually get quite emotional about when I talk to you every time or I message but Philip is an incredible incredible warrior girl power boss in every single area and she's yeah I see I'm welling up we're both welling up but Philip has been for a lot and she discusses it very openly on her social media platforms which we will share in a moment I suggest you check it out but if you have a friend you're concerned about speak to your doctor if you have concerns speak to your doctor that's definitely what I've gathered from today's episode and I'm going to consume every single book in the world I've got Philippa's but I'm definitely <laughs> going to keep going to keep reading them Philippa what's your take-home message for everybody to know your body that knowledge is power that your body is yours and the fact that it can do things for other people is secondary to the fact that it is yours and if you don't know it how can we look after it never mind get any pleasure from it which we also have a right to so know you're normal and if something changes that isn't your normal anymore get checked out absolutely and philippa where can our listeners go to find out more about you um, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Philippa Kay or my website. Um, my books are available everywhere that you buy books from. And I truly, truly hope that they help. I wrote them from a place of the need that I saw. So I hope it helps. Philippa, thank you for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, hope so, (laughs) you'll love the upcoming episodes. So if you don't already, please subscribe. Make sure that you click to be the first to hear it each Monday. There's a lot of podcasts out there now, and I really hope that we're maintaining the ultimate research and the ultimate guest to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. So if you're having a good time and you're learning lots, please do leave a review if you can, so we can reach those higher highs in the charts and ultimately get to reach more people that's what it's all about and for more information about my best-selling books the science of nutrition of course uh, deliciously healthy pregnancy the retrition clinic recipes so much more just head over to retrition.com and follow me at retrition on all social media platforms instagram tiktok twitter facebook and youtube up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com